everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of So You Want to Get Sober. I'm your host, Mel, and I'm also an alcoholic. This week, I have a fucking hilarious person on this show. She cracks me up every single time I see her. And she's one of those people where I've only met a handful of times, but you just like connect. Uh, You know, we'll send each other random stuff. The other week, she was like, check out this gnarly gash on my hand. And I was like, yes, I want to see this. (laughs) This is the content I need. Also, how was your week? (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm going to let Caroline explain a little bit about her, her experience, what it's like in sobriety and follow up with some questions. So take it away. All right. Uh, I'm Caroline. I'm also an alcoholic. Um, Yeah, I can get a little current. I mean, I recently moved across the country. So I, um, I've pulled a few, I spent a lot of my adult life in San Francisco, most of my adult life in San Francisco, but, um, I hopped across the country and lived in Boston for a few years, went back to SF. And then about six months ago, I came back to Florida where I grew up. Um, and I'm really start still in the process of like planning my roots here because uh, coronavirus stuff happened about a month or two after I moved here. So we went digital and I didn't really know that many people. Um, yeah, so I'm really grateful to have Mel and other people in SF so that I can kind of stay plugged in. Um, so I'll tell you what it was like for me. And I'll also say that a lot of the, what it was like is also happening now. It's just that these days I've got ways to really just like stop for a second and go, you know, do I have to do that right now? Do I have to really say that? Do I have to push that red button at this moment? And I'm talking about being angry. I mean, like buying stuff or, you know, texting someone or whatever it is. So, um, what it was like for me is when I was really young, um, you know, my, my family drank a lot. Um, and I just, I was a go-getter. I am a go-getter. And I really, um, I found alcohol the first time when I was 12 or 13. And I, um, I started sailing competitively when I was nine. So I was surrounded by the sailing community. And once again, I am surrounded by the sailing community now that I'm back home. And, um, I look around now and everybody is trashed all like almost all the time. And everybody's driving home from the yacht club. I say everybody. Okay. It's not a lot, but it is way more people than I was aware of when I was younger. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I kind of see how I thought this was like pretty chill or pretty normal. Um, so yeah, I had my first drink when I was 12. Um, I thought I was really cool and I was hanging out with people like much older than me, like older teenagers, adults. It's kind of like a melting pot at, at this little yacht club that I grew up at. Um, but it wasn't until freshman year of high school. That's when I, um, I remember like the very first weekend of freshman year, Friday night, you know, I'm going to the party. We're, we're all, it's like 150 cars spread out in the field. It's exactly like dazed and confused, except it's like on, on the end of this little island that we lived on. It was not, it was not a fancy island. It was just an island with houses and stuff, but it was the end of the island and we were all there and there you would like pop open the trunk and there's beer. And this one guy had moonshine and I was like 90 pounds. So I drank moonshine and I thought I was levitating. Um, but I mean, I literally was like, Whoa, I never saw this hill here before. And everyone's going, mm, not really, but so, so I'm, so whatever. So I get drunk, I'm hanging out with everybody. As Mel said, I can kind of like just show up somewhere and make some friends and, 
So I woke up the next morning and I immediately felt the like, I mean, I had what I thought was a good night. Also don't know how it ended or how I got home. Um, so for me, I blacked out like from the get go, the first drink or the first week time I got drunk all the way through pretty much the last time I got drunk, I would almost always black out. Um, and so, yeah, so that weekend, so I wake up on Saturday morning and I feel uh, there's like dread, shame and guilt, like cutting me to my core. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm a logical person, right? So I'm like employing my brain cells and I'm like, why do I feel this way? You know? And I, what I came up with was like, oh, maybe it's cause I wasn't supposed to be drinking. Sure. I, I, and I need to tell my parents. So if I tell my parents, I'll feel okay. And that thought, that thought of like, if I tell my parents, then I'll, this, I'll feel better is like something that's fueled most of my life. It's like, if I do blank, then I'll feel better, right? Drugs, people, job, move to a new city, buy a car. It's the same. Um, so one of it, again, like I know part of the theme is what's my experience in sobriety too, not just what it was like. And I would say that, um, the four years and change that I've been sober, I'm learning to be okay and not to feel like I need to be okay in the future and not to feel like it will be better. And those sort of conversations, but just looking around the room and being like, okay, everything's fine. Um, cause for the longest time I'm, I'm just like, I'm like, once I get to the top of the mountain, like then it'll be okay. Right. But of course you just never get there. Cause then there's another place to go. Um, so that was kind of the unrest I would say in me has been, yeah, like, um, it's all about tomorrow and like, then I'm going to feel good tomorrow. Um, so anyway, I don't know where that went, but I will say that I woke up, oh yeah, I woke up the morning and I went and I told my parents, I was like, look, you know, I went to this party last night. I was drinking alcohol. Um, you know, and as I'm making my confession, I'm like, you know, but I really liked it. And I, I think I want to do it again. So I just wanted to, you know, let you guys know and see how we're going to make this work. Cause I'm going to go to parties and drink now. Okay. You know, and my parents are from New Orleans. So they're, they're like, all right, let's powwow. And they came back and said, don't drink and drive, always have a DD and tell us where you are always tell us where you are, which like, this is before I had a cell phone or most of my friends had cell phones. So always tell us where you are. meant I was literally like getting to a kid's house and picking up the landline and calling my parents and saying, I'm at Ben's house. He lives at two, two, zero one, blah, blah, blah. Um, so until of course that got cumbersome for me. And so I just stopped following the rules, but it was a slow fade. Um, and yeah, so high school, I wanted everybody to drink just like me. I thought I'd discovered the key to life. Uh, it be, became a huge part of my identity. I could drink anyone under the table. And I was so cute and little that I got away with like doing stupid stuff all the time. Like, I just think that the, people were wowed by the amount of alcohol I could consume and how I didn't seem drunk until I was gone, you know? Um, so anyway, that's pretty much how I drank. I'll say I, I wouldn't. Um, it was just like a full throttle kind of thing. I didn't drink alone by myself ever. Uh, maybe like right towards the end, but I drink alone by myself. Uh, 
I wasn't particularly emotional. I started getting more emotional towards the end of my drinking, but for the most part, I was just there to like go at a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, just when people think of an alcoholic, they directly go to like drinking alone, you know, don't have their life together. And it's like, it doesn't always look like that. You know, <laughs> like you can have alcoholism tendencies from the get go, like blacking out where I, you know, a part of our culture these days is like, that's normal. Like we see it in movies, like blacking out is like what happens, you know, when sometimes people drink but like, that's not normal. <laughs> and like having that immediate feeling of like guilt, shame, and like, you know, indescribable demoralization, like that's not normal. And people just don't really know. Like they, they have this idea of what it has to look like for it to be an issue. Um, I definitely drank alone, but, uh, I knew, I knew I was an alcoholic. I just didn't want to make any changes yet. But, um, but there's so many people in the program who are like, no, I never drank alone. Like it doesn't, it doesn't always look like that. Uh, so thank you for touching on that because it's important for people to know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I came into the rooms and I kept listening for what I'm just saying right now, right? I kept listening for someone who loved to drink, liked to party, was super social. And it was just ruining, you know, it was just ruining my life, my career, my relationships, but I could keep it up because again, like honestly, part of it was like my just my extroversion and like, somewhat of just charm or something. Um, and, but yeah, it was, it was an inside job for me to kind of come out of that. And the, and I mean, also obviously repairing relationships and things like that, because I got away with a lot. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was like, I didn't know I was an alcoholic until someone told me that they thought I was an alcoholic. Um, so, and I, I'll, I'll touch, I'll talk, touch on that in a second, but the real thing, um, Two is my family, there's a lot of alcoholism in my family. And I was told when I was a kid, I think I was 11, um, my mother said, oh, you know, your, your grandmother is an alcoholic. I was about to go on a trip. I was about to go on a cruise with my grandmother who was taking me on a nice trip. Uh, she did that for every kid when they turned 10, every grandkid. I was going to go on this trip with her. And my mom's like, okay, just so you know, your grandmother's an alcoholic, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Like, my grandmother's an alcoholic. She's going to take me alone on this trip for two weeks. And we think that's like fine. So it'd be like her saying like, oh, just so you know, like your grandmother's a diabetic. So she has to take insulin. Right. And she was like, oh, your grandmother's an alcoholic. So she's going to have drinks all day. And when you're at kid camp and I was like, okay, bye. Like, I didn't know any different. I was like, sure. Checks out. Seems fine. Um, and then my mom's um, there are other family members in, in, on my mom's side for sure that I'm very close with. Um, and one, her, her youngest brother passed away at 47 from this disease. Her mom died from alcoholism. Her uncle died. Um, I mean, I'm talking about like liver cancer. Um, one was a, an accident while, while drunk, you know, it's like, it's not like, well, maybe alcohol was involved, you know, it was like a very clear digression. Um, so anyway, yeah. And that's, I had so many ideas of what an alcoholic was. I didn't have this, you know, I did not think I was an alcoholic because it just never occurred to me that this was like another flavor. Um, and so a couple things I'll say about that is first of all, when I, um, when I came in into the program, I was like, 
listening, 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 who hears like me, nobody, nobody, you know, and then at some point, uh, I had a sponsor who's a very, who's a hard ass. I'll say it. I mean, she's amazing and a complete hard ass. And, um, she's like the teacher that you, well, at least for me, she's the teacher that was so hard on me that I like completely fell in love with her. Cause I was like, Oh my God, you're so good at this. And also you care enough about me to push me. Like that's kind of that. So, and it was like, I sent her some work, um, about six months into sobriety. And she said, she just, all I sent her all this stuff. She texts back. She goes, okay, stay desperate. So you don't die. You know? And I was like, what? And then I sat there and all of a sudden it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, Oh my God, I could die from this. And I thought that in that moment, I literally on my hand was like one, two, three, four, like counting all the people in my family that I knew who had died from this, you know? And so at that point I was like, all right, I'm going to just assume or not even assume I'm going to suspend belief for a second that I'm an alcoholic. And why don't I just keep doing this just in the off chance that I'm headed where they were headed. Um, so that really, really, um, really helped me to say, okay, well, even if, for, if it's not, if I don't like hundred percent agree with my particular, particular, whatever, um, I'm just going to see that they're 47, 62, et cetera. I'm 31 at the time that I got sober. So I thought, well, maybe there's something here, you know, maybe there's enough here for me to keep going uh, and, and working steps and really getting better. Yeah. I mean, people say to me all the time, like, oh my God, you're so young. Like, you saved so much of your life. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I almost killed myself. Like there wasn't going to be any, any much left, but like, also there's people who they haven't gotten to that point and they're like, oh, it's fine. Like this is just regular partying, but it's like 30 years down the road, like you you will look like that, but you just haven't gotten there yet. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. And then what happened with me actually was, I mean, look, I had some of the stuff that people say all the time in in the rooms or maybe not all the time, but you know, my, my friends, um, or I kept getting older. My friends stayed the same age. I definitely had that problem in my late twenties. You know, I was hanging out when I was at work, I was an executive at a startup and, um, you know, I was hanging out with the interns and I don't mean hanging out. I mean like partying till 2am and sleeping over like on their floors. Like I was like, you know, just whoever around me would drink the way I did. And then I went and I actually, in that time I was, um, I found this women's flag football league in Boston and it is 300 lesbians every Sunday with lawn chairs and coolers. And we would just play football and get drunk all day, you know? And those were also the women that I went out with all the time in Boston. So Boston was like college all over again. A, passing out on the floor of an intern's apartment. B, drinking with all these ex-varsity athletes who couldn't like, who wanted to relive the glory days. So while I was doing these things, um, yeah, I was, I was with a psychiatrist there who actually is uh, the director of mood disorders at Tufts Medical Center. So he know, he's published, well, by then, that was, was six years ago, he'd published seven books already. So he was like the top of his, like, you know, whatever. He was at the top of the field, I guess. And um, he kept talking to me about my drinking, you know? And he would say like, okay, you really should only like drink one drink. And I was like, okay, but like, how about seven? You know, and then he would say, he would say, well, you know, like 
you can have like five drinks a week, but you have to have them on five nights, you know? And I would like play this freaking game the whole time. And I would just, I would put like all seven on one. I'll be like, but I didn't drink Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So you see, like I was saving up my chips or something. And he's like, what is wrong with you? Um, and so after a while, I and mean, we, we switched all my meds. I mean, it was crazy. I was not right for a little while. I mean, I wasn't, you know, fortunately I didn't experience like suicidal thoughts or anything, but I was just like, like I was just a pinball and he kept trying, he kept trying. And then finally he was like, you know, I'm reducing my client base, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I just don't think that it's been effective. And my brain was like, he's firing you because you are drinking on top of your medicine and it's not going to work ever. And it's been three years, you know? And so I went home that day and I was just like, okay, my little light bulb was like, I will never be mentally normal. I will never be mentally stable unless I quit drinking. And that was the first time in my entire life that I thought I should stop like forever. You know, before I was like, oh, I have this boxing fight coming up. I have to stop drinking to train. Oh, I'm in this leadership seminar. I'm going to stop, not drink, blah, blah, blah. Like I'd have these little reasons and some of them were compelling enough. Surprisingly enough, the boxing fight was not compelling enough. So I drank through my training and then got a technical knockout in front of 2000 people at the house of blues. Although I was fine. Um, like I didn't, a technical doesn't mean you actually got, you're unconscious, but they were like, uh, this girl needs to leave. So, um, I wasn't drunk in the ring, but it ruined like everything I was working for, you know? So yeah, so that was the first time I was like, hmm, I think maybe I should quit forever. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I told everybody, I made big grand announcements. This is another thing we talk about. It's like, oh yeah. Then I like put a flag in my front, in my front lawn. And I was like, I'm sober now. No more alcohol. Thanks guys. Like come back after the holidays. I'll be here sober. And, um, you know, and then I had a brunch for the Kentucky Derby, obviously, and was serving mint juleps and then drank one. It wasn't my drink of choice. I never really drank those ever, but I just, like, it was nothing, you know, like no thought. My friend brought like a sparkling cider over, like a Martinelli's or something. And, and then she looked at me and she was like, wait, why are you drinking? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, it's not that big of a deal, you know, and that's it. That's how my brain goes. It just goes, nah, we're fine. And that's exactly what it's like when I manage it myself. Cause every one of those other times that I was like, Oh yeah, I, I won't drink while I'm training. Well, then like that lasts like three weeks. Okay. Well, I won't drink while I do this. And the excuse was never anything interesting. It was never interesting. It was just like, whoops, like who knows? Um, it was really more like, it's going to be different this time. Um, or, I was overreacting, you know, whatever. There's a number of silly things that go through our minds. But I will say, um, yeah, thank God for that, for that guy firing me because um, about a, a couple months after that, after like I thought I needed to stop drinking, I then failed, then I was in a pretty bad blackout. My brother walks into my apartment. It's, it's all dark. See, this is me. I never drank by myself at home. I did. He comes into the house, lights are out. I'm in this old brownstone in Harvard Square, right across from a cemetery and the Episcopal Church. And it is creepy as hell. And my brother walks in because I invited him over for dinner. 
and I'm sitting, I'm lying on the sofa and I have like a highball. I don't even know what drinking glasses are called. I'm not that classy, but I had like a glass of something or no, a glass next to me and had bourbon in it. Bourbon. I like beer and like rum drinks because I'm a sailor. Okay. So I'm like sipping bourbon, no ice, just like sipping it. Um, and I'm late, I'm like laid on the sofa and I'm eating sushi that I did take out. My brother comes in, walks over, picks up the glass, looks at it and he goes, okay, Mimi. Cause that was my grandmother's drink. And I was like, what? And then the next day, my boss took me to lunch and told me she thought I was an alcoholic. And so like, it was just such a, those are the first, I remember being in, in the room and hearing like, oh, there were God shots where like all of a sudden God or your higher power or like, you know, a witch intervened and was like, was like, here, I'll take it from you. You clearly can't figure this out by yourself. And in the first week I was like, oh my God, I have so many God shots. I already know about them. Like, I totally know this was so weird guys. Um, you know, and then of course every lady is like, that's not that weird. Um, <laughs> I just, I miss, I was the same way. I would, I would be like, oh, it really, it was just alcohol. Like I had no problem with drugs. And then I'm like, hmm, well, how about the times that like you coped with uh, painkillers for like months on end? Cause you didn't want to drink. So that was your other way to check out or like, oh, you did Molly about 40 times. Like, <laughs> that's not normal. Um, it cracks me up alone, alone in the Harvard house with your takeout sushi. <laughs> Oh my God. It was so creepy. Wait, I want to tell you how creepy this house is. This has nothing to do with sobriety. This is just my life. Send me a picture. So, <laughs> so I actually loved this apartment. It was lovely. It was three stories. So it was like, it was like a room on top of a room on top of a room. It was a, it was a brownstone that had been cut in half. So I don't know what their life looked like, but mine was like stacks of rooms. And so, um, yeah, so I'm on the downstairs floor. Um, and then in the up, First of all, the house made noises. I was like, many people have clearly died here, but I couldn't really like identify them by name. But every now and then I would just get like really cold or I'd wake up in the middle of the night staring into like nowhere. It was a weird house. But I walked upstairs one time. There's this door that goes to nowhere because they cut the house in half. So you open the door and it's just blank sheet metal, but it had all these children's drawings on it that they had taped up from like a previous family. And they're all like, they drew little squids and like little fishies and all this stuff. And then the weirdest thing, and it's still like, like cuts me to my core when I think of it. There was this uh, thing taken out of like a coloring book or something. I don't know. And it's this little girl and there's a plantation in the background and it's called the Southern Belle. And the little girl, they painted her dress and they blacked her face. They blacked her hands. Any parts of her body were black. Like like with a re- like a black marker, and I was like, "What?" And I'm from New Orleans, okay. So I'm like, I'm like, this looks like a picture from like a little me. It looked like a little me, and I'm like, "What is a Southern Belle doing in Boston? Like, what is going on?" And then the then when I went back there to do show my friends because it was a good party trick, I was like, "Look at how creepy this is." A bat flew out of there. I'm not even joking. I was like, "Where did this even come from?" There's no holes back here. There's just, it's just a sheet metal. I'm like, where? Anyway, so that was Harvard. And so by the end of it, yes, I was drinking alone in the dark in a haunted house. That is the story of my, that's the story. That was my, that was my bottom. There it was. (laughs) I was like, welcome, come on in, invade my soul. I don't care anymore. 
So take my sushi. <laughs> take, my yeah, sushi. take my sushi. It's all yours. Actually finish my bourbon. I don't need it. <laughs> Mimi. Yeah, yeah, this one's for Mimi. Exactly. I, when he said that to me, I was like, what? That is the weirdest. Like, where did that come from? I mean, it really wasn't, it was probably like six or eight months in sobriety where I was like, oh, that's actually kind of funny. I get that now. Yeah, I feel that. Um, so then your boss took you out. I love this part of the story. Oh yeah. So this is great. So we're about to, the company, I love chaos, by the way, I thrive, thrive on chaos. Right. And I'm, I'm working on that. Like I said, I like to sometimes just sit for a second and be like, okay, everything is okay. Like it, it's not perfect. It's not bad. It's not, there's no judgment. It's just here because otherwise like my, I'm very uncomfortable when things are calm and okay. When there's drama and chaos, oh my God, I'm like, yes, this is my time to shine. And I'm really good at damage control, you know, but that's like not a sustainable way to live. So I was working in this um, startup and we were about to undergo an acquisition or so we thought. And so my boss is, is, she's the CEO. She's telling everybody, okay, these teams are in this, these, these, blah, blah, blah. You go do this, you go do this. And she's like, Caroline, you and I are going to lunch. I'm like, uh-oh. this is not going to be good. So I'm like, I'm like, okay. And we're, you know, small talking on the way over to Chipotle or something. And I'm like, okay. And then she sits down and she goes, okay, so here's what's up. You know, like they're looking for me to name someone to, um, to kind of like put in charge, right. If when all this all goes down and she's like, and oh, you know, you're really talented, but you're kind of a hot mess. And I was like, uh, and then she basically said like, these are the things that you bring to the workplace that are not working for you. And it was very alcoholic behavior. You know, she goes, you, you, um, you jump up to lead everything. Then you throw your coworkers under the bus and then you don't do all the work. Then you take credit for it. Then you come in late and yell at other people for being late. I mean, it was just like this whole me being an egomaniac with an inferiority um, syndrome because I wanted all the power and control but I was so terrified that if I actually did the work, it would be wrong. So I would just like, I'd steal all the power and control, make everyone else do my work and then run around slandering people. To, like, it was just, it was not cute. And she saw that. Not, a lot, not everybody saw that, but she saw that. And um, she's telling me this and I'm like, ooh, okay, yeah. Like, I, yeah, I agree. Well, what, what do I do? Um, what do I do to change it? And she goes, well, I think you're an alcoholic and I think you, I think you need to go to AA. And I was like, I think you're right. You know, it was no, I didn't even skip a beat. You know, I did not miss a beat. And she, um, it just was so amazing to me because I'd known all that stuff. I'd known that I felt like an imposter 24 hours a day. I'd known that like every time I remember standing, on the stage at, uh, I sailed in college too. And I, I was, um, an all American. I made the all America team. I was the youngest person on the all America team that year. And they're handing me the trophy. And in my head, I'm standing up there and I'm thinking, God, I really pulled the wool over their eyes. Like they must not know who I actually am. Right. And that was my whole life. Like I was a big personality and I felt like I had nothing to stand on. Um, so when she said that to me and then she said, oh, it's because you're an alcoholic. I was like, sweet, I'll do AA. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. Um, so yeah. And, and I just, I remember her, you know, she's like, I, I think you're an alcoholic. I said, yeah, I think you're right. And her face was kind of like, 
well, okay, this is going to be easier than I thought. Um, and, and then I'm, and then, so, and then I, I think we wrap up that part of the conversation and I'm like, you know, you've been, you know, you've been my manager for three years now. Um, how long have you been sitting on this? And I literally said it that way. I was like, how long have you been sitting on this? She goes, well, about six months. And I think it occurred to me about six months ago. And, she, and I was like, oh, well, why didn't you tell me? She goes, wasn't the right time. Like, not like I'm so smart that I know exactly what time it's supposed to be. Like, that was the first time that I saw someone. I'm like, wow, she's trusting something other than herself. You know, she was just like, oh, I don't know. She shrugged as if it was like, you know, no big deal. Just like you dying from alcoholism or not, you know, she knows it's not in her power. So I really, really loved that moment. That was my favorite part of that whole thing was just her going like, what in time, you know? And sometimes I, I forgive myself or I give myself the space to just be like, maybe it's just not time yet. She also gave me one of my favorite things. Um, I don't know if, if it's program or whatever, but she always would say, um, cause of course I want to jump into a conversation or a text or a purchase or something that's going to make me feel better, even if it's not alcohol. And so she always used to say, does it need to be said? Okay. If I still think it needs to be said, does it need to be said now? It's another good question. Most of the time the answer there is no. Um, and then the last one, which pisses me off every time is, does it need to be said by me? And that's really important because a lot of times I think I'm the only one who has this information and I'm just going to save the world or I'm going to fix the project or I'm going to whatever, because I'm the only one who could possibly know this. And sometimes it's like, I realize now I'm like, oh wait, no, like I'm not this kid's coach. You know, this other guy is this kid's coach. So I don't need to tell this kid how to be, he needs to tell him that or whatever the circumstances. But if I, if I remember or sit still for long enough to answer just those three questions, most of the time I get stopped at least by the third one, you know? Um, and that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what like sobriety has been about is really just kind of putting in a little buffer between my, um, I guess my disease thoughts, my alcoholism thoughts and like my actions. And I'm not even, close to exercising that properly all the time. But every now and then I'll catch myself stopping and then not doing something. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, look at me go. You know, it's like, what present am I going to give myself for being a, you know, like a responsible human? A responsible human. (laughs) I do the same shit. It's like, oh my God, I didn't say that fucked up thing. Who's going to Target today? (laughs) Um, But no, you know, I when I sat down and I was like, if, Car- if Caroline asked me how I am, do I tell her the truth that like, I'm not okay. Cause I'm so, I'm so used to living in chaos and like thriving off of it. Um, or, you know, expecting sobriety to always feel like after you've done your nine step, like the nine step promises of like, I feel really good. Um, and it's not always like that. Like I, still have this ism that I have to take care of and maintain. Like I have changed to a lot of degree, but at the same time, it's like just checking in with myself and pausing. Like it's not always going to look amazing, you know? Um, and I, I think what you said in the beginning where you're like, what it was like now 
and what it, or what, what it was like then and what it's like now, it's kind of the same. I just have the tools to deal with it when like my crazy comes up. And that was what I needed to hear today because I'm I'm in this place where I'm like, everything's wrong. I'm never going to feel good again. This isn't what sobriety is supposed to look like. This isn't what sobriety is supposed to feel like. I should have more control. That's a really big one uh-huh. for me today. <laughs> um, and that's not how it works. I just, I get to show up. And I like what you said about showing up as like future you. And I can't think of the word, but fucking behind you. <laughs> and you just have to like, am I okay now? Yes, I'm okay now. You know, my relationship is good. I have a relationship with a higher power that's helping me out when things feel like shit. I have people to talk to like you. I have AA. Like things are okay. Even if like Mel's isms say that they're not and like, I got to fuck things up, you know? Um, and it was just really important for me to hear that like, it doesn't always have to look great to my standards, you know, as long as I don't drink, like things will tend to work out. Oh yeah. Uh, sobriety is definitely a time where I've had to lower my expectations of myself, like seriously lower them to a, a and you know, I God, I, I mean, I just, so many of these things made me so mad and they still irk me a little bit, right? Like the idea that like, Oh, you'll live a like, simple, happy life where you get to be like a worker among workers and a blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty boring. And also like, I I always imagined I'd do blah, you know, all these great things and stuff like that. And, and the thing about it is it's not really, um, you know, this is a little theoretical, but for, for a moment, like it's like it, what I need to be okay on a daily basis is simple. It's very simple. I need to sleep eight hours a night. I need to go to bed at the same time every day. I need to eat three meals. You know, like I need to pack my bag for work. What I need day to day is very, very simple. What I thought I needed day to day was like, like I need to go to the gym. I need to buy these things. I need to accomplish 37 things at work. I need blah, 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 blah. You know, and so I was never okay. Cause I could never do all those things. Right. So the thing about, um, you know, AA and being in recovery, a lot of it has just been to be like, why don't you just keep it simple and see what sort of like magic pops out from that space instead of like, you know, trying to design a universe and a world and like whatever that I can't even possibly match. Um, yeah. So mainly for my own questioning, I've been really depressed in sobriety. And I I guess I just didn't think it could be possible to feel like, I think I know how to feel my feelings more than just surface level now, which is something I'm getting used to. It's like, oh, they linger for more than 20 seconds. (laughs) Like, fuck. Um, How have you like shifted out of feeling um, all the negative feelings that do come up? Like, what do you do to get past them? Because I'm I'm reaching out to my higher power. I'm, you know, showing up to the best of my ability and like doing all the footwork. And I'm like, fuck, dude, like help me out because this is not fun. This is not where I want to be. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I've had my lowest lows in sobriety for sure, like hands down. Um, Only a couple of them, but I mean, I feel everything now. So I'm like, ah, like it feels like my skin's on fires. You know, a couple of times I've just been like, holy moly. Um, so I'll tell you the first time that that really happened was, um, yeah, I just had a big crash and got super like 
you know, my, my experience is not just with depression. It's also with mania or hypomania. And so I was up here, I was up top and I was like, uh Oh, uh Oh, uh Oh, like, you know, I, I know that there's only one thing that can come after that. You know, I don't just like land softly. I don't think bipolar and, you know, people have like landing gear. I think they just blow right through the floor. So that's, that's been my experience. So I was like, um, you know, I'm like lying on my floor. I feel I'm crushed. I can't, I don't even, I couldn't even really put words on what was happening. I just felt so like not in my body. I was like observing myself. Anyway, it was a very bizarre time for me. And I like, I had a friend who texted me at like 7.40 AM on a Saturday. I woke up Saturday morning and it was like, you want to go to too early this morning? Which is one of my very favorite meetings. And I was like, okay. And I jumped out of bed and I pulled my shit together. I got there. And then I rolled straight from there to a meeting with my sponsor and then straight from there to an Al-Anon meeting, then straight from there to like, you know, go lay home and rest, you know? And I just, what I did was I literally hurled myself at women in the rooms. Um, women that I trusted, you know, women that were close to me. Um, and I also have a psychiatrist that I see regularly. So I have like outside issues covered. You know, I called her immediately. I talked to her actually every day for two weeks. Like this woman would call me every day for two weeks for, you know, I mean, not even on an appointment, but she would spend 15 minutes with me or whatever it was. Um, by that point, honestly, since I'd struggled with, or not even struggled, I had been diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder, probably uh, I was 20, right? So I knew kind of how to raise the alarm there. And I hadn't quite learned yet how to trust women in AA. So when that happened, I was like, beep, boop, beep, boop. I just picking up the phone, like whoever popped into my mind was the right person, you know? And so I just kind of slowly just listened. That was really the big thing. And it's happened to me most recently too. I had another big bottom really in the past like month where I was just emotionally drained. I wouldn't necessarily say I was depressed, but I was depleted. You know what I mean? Like my, the resources were gone. Um, and, um, the resources were gone and I felt like, yeah, I had nothing, like there was no me inside me. Um, and so at that point, same thing. I called a few people. I called my sponsor. I waved my white flag. I said, I'll do what you tell me to, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's like these big rocks that I, that I run into are largely moments in time where I am still clinging tightly onto the control and clinging tightly onto what I think my life is supposed to look like. You know, and so those are the ones when, um, when if I just call a couple people and listen to what they, something right, then, then that's when it really, you know, that's when it like, I guess I just never thought that that's all you have to do, but I really just started listening to people. When The best times in my life have been when I was fresh out of ideas, you know, when I was all out of ideas, then I started praying like crazy and listening to people, hmm. you know, like, okay, this person has been telling you this for, you know, two years now, but now that you feel like you're dying, <laughs> it's just like how we came into the rooms, right? It's like every, I've hit multiple bottoms in sobriety, you know, and they all just evolve a different, you know, a different level of surrender, I guess. Yeah. And I, I I've, I found that there's a difference between like waving the white flag with women in the program and me as like a sober person than before. Like I would 
drain the shit out of you. Please fix me. Please do all that you can to make me feel better and like get out of me without actually putting in the footwork. But like with the women in the program, it's like, holy shit, (laughs) I don't want to drink. I don't want to die. Like help me out. And it's, it's a different type of assistance because they get it, you know? Um, So that's been, I don't know. I have a big thing. I always thought that I was like a dude's girl. Like I have all these guy friends and I don't, I just thought I was really fucking cool and women just like could never get me. And I come to the rooms and I was like terrified of women. And now I'm like, don't come close to me. I literally don't know one man. I had to like 12 step a guy. And I was like, well, maybe I should get a guy to do this. I had to scroll through all my contacts to text someone I haven't talked to in eight months to be like, I don't know any men in the program, man, that I barely know your name. You met me once. Can I please get... Because <laughs> I just only feel comfortable around women now. And I didn't think that that would ever be the case. But um, but yeah, I mean, I guess just surrendering. It's so hard. I always want to feel like I have control over anything. Um, and when I don't, it's just like, oh my God, I'll do anything. It's like, I'm at the point where I'm like, I'll do anything to feel better. I don't feel like I'm going to drink, but like, I don't want to feel the way that I'm feeling. <laughs> like This sucks, you know? So I, I think I realized they're, they're definitely the, uh, I've been, I've worked with a few different sponsors, but I think, um, most recently my pick or like, you know, the, the person I asked me, my sponsor here, the new, um, screening mechanism for sponsors for me is like, so first of all, it's, um, like, you know, you come in the room and they're like, oh, pick someone who has what you want. You know, well, like I wanted a new BMW. So that wasn't really going to like, you know, I wanted a girlfriend. I wanted blank. You know, I wanted stuff that I had no concept of what I wanted in a human being. So that, that was like very tough for me, but I finally realized like, I'm looking for someone I will listen to. And I'm not going to listen to this person all the time. I'm positive. I got that. But like, who's someone that I can like hear and do what they tell me to do? And there are a lot of, a lot of personalities that I will not, I will never listen to them. Or maybe I will, um, but I'll be super resentful or, or whatever. And so when I'm in those moments of like, oh God, I'm at rock bottom. I need some help here. That's kind of what I think of is I'm like, who am I willing? Like, I'm going to call this person and you know, right? You know, this person's going to enable me and sell out on me. Or this is a person who's going to like, like relate and then give me some actions to take, right? And those are my best fucking friends now. Oh my God. I didn't even put two and two together because I have the people where I'm like, do you really want to call a person who's going to be like, oh, like, you know, do what you need to do for you. What I need to do for me is like five bottles of wine. <laughs> okay. But like, give me the friends that are going to be like, get your head out of your ass, go to three meetings and like talk out loud to your higher power, which is not what I want to hear. But like, they're right, you know? Oh yeah, exactly. I totally get it. I, I, I love people who will like take a stand and I'll take a stand, but it doesn't have to be like a, yeah, it's all good. Like I have probably, I'm so happy and lucky, but now I probably have six to eight women that I could say like right now. Um, and you know, some of them, we have the exact same or not exact same, but like almost the same experience in relationships, you know, or we have, or there's someone who I look up to who has like 30 years and has been married for a while and this, that, and the other, and has a steady job and I'll call her for some things. And there it's the compassion, but it's really the empathy that we feel for each other. And then the like complete, like, yep, that's okay. I did that. Yep. Oh, I know what that sounds like. I did that. 
you know, and then like you said, well, how do you get out of it when you're depressed? Right. Then I asked them, I'm like, okay, well, so you did this too. Like, how did you get out of it? Like what, you know, and that's, that's a really, really lovely thing. And it's taken a little while to find, you know, the SWAT team kind of thing, but, and it, it, it evolves. People come into my life and people leave my life, but that's been the best gift of the program is nobody wants to tell me what to do. Um, but if I ask them, they'll tell me what they did. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I'll reach out to you this week for sure. <laughs> um, I would love to hear what your experience has been like with bipolar in, in your disease and then managing it once you got sober too. What was that like? Cause I'm sure there's people out there who, who are trying to deal with both. And for a lot of people, I know that they try to compensate the emotions with alcohol or drugs to kind of balance things out. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, sure. Um, so my, when I moved back to San Francisco, one of the first things I did was get a psychiatrist. Um, I fortunately, since I was, um, diagnosed, I, uh, you know, I don't remember when it was maybe around 23 or 24, but like fairly early in my like post-college life. Um, I was like, Oh, I got to take my meds every day. Like, this is not, this is not something I play around with because for a while I was like, well, nothing really bad, blah, blah, blah. And then I just like, could not work. I like, couldn't do my work. Um, I was just like, my brain was all I had no attention. I was just, it was all sorted weird. And I finally told a psychiatrist there when I was like 24 and they were like, uh, yeah, you got to take these every day. And as prescribed, like I was just doing it kind of piecemeal. So from that point, I was really good about like sticking with a psychiatrist and seeing them regularly. So that's what I did. I was like, all right, who's my person going to find that got in the rooms, got a sponsor. Okay. And so for me, um, it was all about, I got so honest. I was like honest with my psychiatrist really for the first time, probably ever. And I don't mean that I was, I, in some instances, I was like just not sharing stuff. Sometimes I was lying about my drinking, but for the most part, I was like, here I am. I'm in AA. I'm doing this. I'm doing that, whatever. And so she and I worked to take me off of some of the weird meds that they took, they put me on while I was drinking because your med, my meds, like the ones that work, in sobriety weren't working in drinking. So we, we, it took us maybe two years to kind of like calibrate it and get it all back to like something sustainable. So I would just say in sobriety, I had a lot of patience around it. I trusted a healthcare professional. That was another thing. First person I trusted in sobriety was my psychiatrist, honestly. Um, and yeah. And so I did the work. I showed up in sobriety. I worked the steps. Um, you know, I got a sponsee. I was doing the thing. And then the whole time I was in every other week, probably with my psychiatrist, um, sometimes once a week. And honestly, I mean, I don't like my experience has been that I, I always have to have health insurance. Like that's another thing too, is even when I'm unemployed or like, even when like, everything falls apart. Like I have to find a way because otherwise I won't be able to afford my medicine. And then I may as well not show up. You know what I mean? It's just like AA. If I take a drink, it's over. If I stop taking my medicine, it's over. You know, those two things are very hand in hand, right? One can't live without the other one very well. Um, so that's all I would say is I really got myself in front of someone and I worked with her and I said, this is what I want. I want to be back on these ones that I blah, blah, blah. And and my mood um, in sobriety was a little bit better 
it was a lot better, but it was really more because of like the calm approach and the like long-term plan that we had. It was the first time I'd made like a long-term plan. I just kind of figured that everything, you know, I'd get everything like right now and I would be satisfied and I would have, you know, like I wouldn't have to work for anything, but I had to work for that. Um, just like sobriety, I had to work for it. Like I had two programs, I guess is what I would say, you know? Um, so long-winded, but that I would say like it, you know, they feed off of each other, but at the end of the day, there's a bottom line with both. Either you're treating yourself, either you're treating your mental illness and you're treating your alcoholism or you're not, you know? Yeah. They go in tandem. Well, awesome. Um, I think this has been great. I was going to ask you other questions, but this is a bomb ass podcast. I'm just going to leave it at this. (laughs) Um, yeah, you're amazing. I'm, I'm excited to see you at the meeting in, in like 50 minutes. Do you, do you secretary that now? I'm co-hosting it. So every other week, I just, I think I'm Zoom master. I think that's what I do. Zoom master. I just open the door. Um, (laughs) Creepers come in. Anything, anything else you want to add before we jump off? No, I mean, nothing we haven't covered. I I do um, love though that you emphasize that, you know, like I'm exactly who I was when I came into AA, you know what I mean? And so the great thing about it is it's just kind of like, for me, it's just felt like, okay, just slow down just a little bit. Like, just like before you trip on yourself, just like maybe come to a nice walking pace. You know, that's kind of what sobriety has felt like to me, right? It's like your shoelaces are undone. Like everything is a mess. So just slow, just slow it down and you can put some pieces together. But at the end of the day, like life happens. So um, yeah, and I'm really glad to be on here. So thank you. Yeah, super exciting. Thanks for being so willing. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.